Yo, what's going on, Ask Bro Not? It's your boy Jerry, the TRX for Washington, here at General Fitness Company Studio. Today is Monday, Labor Day, September 6, 2021. And I got a good one for you. I actually haven't edited it yet. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty long, so I'm going to try to cut it down. I don't know how much I can cut down because there's, there's quite a bit of information in this one today. There's a lot. Uh, but I have a personal story. I have some scientific, scientific uh, facts in here. And I have just a musings of my own <laughs> so yeah uh, we're not going to get too long on this intro because we're going to get right into this episode because like i said it's a really good one about addiction uh, about uh, healthy exercise and about just doing the right thing for yourself when it comes to happiness all right so that's all i'm going to say we're going to get this episode underway this is season nine episode <laughs> here i go again with season nine season eight episode 100 all right, and we're going to call this one, What Goes Up Must Come Down. Let go! All right, so here we are, episode number 100, and uh, I got a good one for you today, so let's get right into it. So today I wanted to talk about, well, I wanted to talk about a lot, uh, but what it stems from is happiness. Yeah, or too much happiness. And I'll tell you why we're going to be talking about too much happiness. Now, the thing is that it seems in the world, especially in America, that we have a problem with happiness. Now, it's not what you think. A lot of people might think that we don't have enough happiness and that uh, we need to do more to be happy. Uh, but there's uh, scientific research, and I'm going to go into that in a little bit, uh, but there's scientific research that shows that we are actually chasing happiness too much in the way that is making us unhappy. Yeah, so I'm just going to start this off right now and just let you know that this same scientific research has actually also showed that the most unhappy people are American skydivers <laughs> now you would think those are like the happiest people right skydivers is like happy people you would think so they're always like jumping out of planes and living that good life right they're like always happy because they're always chasing that thrill but it actually shows that these people actually are in the most pain not even in in, in the sense that they're like in pain because of uh because of the uh, the multiple landings <laughs> that they've had, uh, not necessarily physical pain, but it's also physical pain, but it's mostly caused by the fact that they have this 
this high threshold for dopamine. All right, so yeah, we're gonna get a little scientific here. So dopamine, if you're not familiar with that, with what that is, that is the brain's happy chemical. That's essentially what the brain uh, produces once you've been stimulated enough, right? So essentially, like when you're happy, you have a flood of dopamine that goes in your brain, it goes throughout your body, and you feel good. That's essentially what happens. You feel good when you have a lot of dopamine. The thing is, though, uh, if you chase that dopamine for too long, you develop a tolerance for it, right? Just like anything else, you know, you do something and you develop a tolerance for it. Anything that you do, your body adapts. We're very adaptable uh, beings, and that is one thing that we do is we adapt. So on one hand, yeah, it it seems like a great idea to be chasing happiness. However, on the other hand, this this endless pursuit of happiness actually leads us into an even, even deeper well of pain. Yeah, who would have thought, right? So, I mean, if you actually think about it, though, it makes complete sense. And the reason why that is, is because we chase homeostasis. Well, not we, not consciously, but our brain chases homeostasis, meaning that if whatever amount of happiness or sadness that your brain is experiencing or that you're experiencing, your brain tries to counter counter balance that or counteract that by producing an equal amount of, you know, sadness or happiness, you know, (laughs) then equal amount of the opposite emotion. Let's put it that way. So this endless pursuit of happiness, after you, you know, after you get that fix, after you get that high, eventually your brain has to come back down. You can't be happy forever, right? (laughs) That's just not how it works. You have to have that certain sense of unhappiness to actually experience happiness all right so essentially your what your brain is is trying to do is that once you experience that happiness once you you know get that feeling your brain automatically just once it's over it shuts off and it starts to produce these pain you know that's why these skydivers are actually experiencing this pain and they have a lower or a lower threshold for pain. So they increase their threshold for happiness, you know, for feeling good, and they lower their threshold for pain. So meaning that, you know, the more you get happy, the easier it is for you to get hurt. So there's something to be said about an equal balance of emotion. We always talk about how we want to be happy and how there's so many books about being happy and all this stuff. And yeah, people want to be happy because, of course, it feels good. But at the same time, the most happiness is actually going to be felt with an equal amount of adversity or challenge or obstacles or whatever you want to say as a representative of the opposite of not feeling of the opposite of feeling good. So uh, the science, the science behind this is actually I was just reading a book uh, not too long ago, and that book was called Dopamine Nation. Yeah, and it's an interesting book, and actually it was a. I don't want to go into it too much because it had some pretty interesting stories in there. Some of them probably not so appropriate for this episode or, or this podcast in general. Uh, but uh, what I will do is I will replace that story with a personal story about one of my family members. So I had a family member that was addicted to drugs. All right. And 
you know, you can kind of, if you've ever dealt with anybody that's had addiction, you understand how it works. It's like, you know, they maybe did a little bit at a time. And by, you know, by a certain amount of time, you see that they are completely addicted and they're doing twice to three times or, you know, maybe even 10 times as much as the original amount to get that same fix. You know, we've probably heard that everywhere is that, you know, it's not it's not necessarily the first thing that gets you. Sometimes it is, depending on how, how heavy the drug is. But a lot of times it's like the 50th or 60th time when you're still trying to chase that high from the first dose. Uh, so long story short here, my uncle, he ended up, uh, you know, he went through some pretty tough times, experienced some serious pain. And obviously that serious pain led to him wanting to do more to hurt himself or wanting to do more, which ended up hurting himself in the long run. And it was just a vicious, vicious cycle. You know, it's like you feel good and then, you know, your brain wants to balance that out. So you have these subconscious beliefs and behaviors and actions that end up turning you uh, turning your life into a uh for lack of better words a shit show <laughs> so what ended up happening to my uncle you know like like i said long story short i can go into like all the crazy stuff that happened but what ended up happening to him is that he did end up getting off of drugs uh but how he did it was interesting you know you would think that he just kind of would either you know get into some psychological program or some kind of um, therapy or something like that but he more or less quit cold turkey but how he quit cold turkey was by first of all being honest with himself that was the first part he had to be honest with himself that he had an addiction and that it was affecting his life negatively Uh, and after that he he started being honest with other people you know, he, he told, started telling people when he felt the urge to, to, to use or when he actually had used. And by doing that, uh, believe it or not, it uh, created a, a connection. So I'm going to go a little bit, a little bit off the path here for a second. But that connection, it helped him bring him a some semblance of, of care, of love, of somebody that uh, is outside of himself that you know, wants some, something better for him. You know, it wasn't just him caring for him. It was other people caring for him. But it wasn't just that. You know, you think about it when people are people are addicted to anything, you know, whether it be drugs, alcohol, you know, terrible foods or, you know, even bad television. What happens a lot of times, think about when you're watching a, a, a television program that you really want to watch. You will not tolerate somebody talking through that program, right? You almost essentially cut off your connection with other human beings while you're under, while you are participating in this activity, you know? So, and, and you know, for in the case of drugs and alcohol, you really cut yourself off because obviously it's a, you know, it's a behavior uh, for in certain cases that, you know, is definitely morally corrupt, but, you know, sometimes it's also illegal, you know, obviously drugs, uh, but, you know, you think about, you know, you don't want to, you know, maybe alcohol is not illegal, but you don't want to be drinking alcohol on the way to work, you know, or you don't want to be drinking alcohol at work. So when you, when you do these things, you kind of try to, you, you more or less, not on purpose, maybe on purpose, you cut yourself off from, uh, relationships. So you cut yourself off from connection and cutting yourself off from connection obviously leads to more depression and that more depression leads you to do that activity more. So 
being honest with yourself and being honest with others about it, it rekindles that connection and helps you become uh, someone that doesn't desire that behavior anymore because you want to be connected. So uh, th- that, that, that was the first part. The second part is that he actually had to find something that anchored him. You know, he had to find something that was physically anchored him when he had the desire to take those drugs. He ended up doing, I, I can't remember exactly what he said he did, but it was something I remember that was, that was actually physical. You know, he said it wasn't anything that was harmful, but something that was physical that reminded him of the fact that he wanted something better for his life. Now this is this is interesting because this physical thing is 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 also uh, a mental and in certain cases I remember I remember for him and it may be for other people different but I remember for him it was more of a spiritual thing and again I can't remember exactly what it was but I do remember because it kind of hit me when I was reading this book they were talking about these two different groups of people there was uh, spiritual people or people that believed in something greater than themselves, and there were non-spiritual people, people that didn't believe in God, didn't believe in uh, religion, didn't believe in anything greater than themselves, kind of more or less like nihilists or atheists or anything or something like that. So these two groups of people, they had, you know, they showed up on their brain, they showed their brain scans, and one side was the the non-religious, you know, atheist types, and the other side were the, I should say, not the non-religious spiritual types. I shouldn't say atheists, so to speak, uh, because they don't really believe in anything, I guess. Uh, but we'll say the non-religious, non-spiritual types, because that kind of covers more bases. And they had the religious spiritual types. Now, on the right-hand side were the non-religious, as I said, and they showed their brain scans. And their brain scans more or less had these these these, these patches, these little spots that were... Uh, representative of their pain and pleasure zones and when they experienced something that was like pleasure they had very small activation zones and in fact activation zones seem to be the same activation zones that were linked to depression so a a similar brain scan to these non-religious people would also be uh, a brain scan of someone that was depressed so they're almost synonymous a a depressed person and a non-religious non-spiritual person had almost identical brain scans whereas on the other hand you had people that were religious or they were spiritual they believed in something that was higher than them and they had massive amounts of uh, of uh representation in their brain uh, when uh, when they were stimulated. So if they felt some type of uh, happiness or some kind of pleasure, they had more of their brain activate. So what that tells us is that having some kind of greater than thou something, some kind of belief, something that is more than yourself is a great way to not be depressed because... And obviously, if you're living for something more than yourself, again, I go and kind of goes back to my my connection, the human connection point. You know, it's it's more than a human connection, of course. It's more of a connection with uh, the world, or you know, or the uh, the universe, so to speak. So, honesty and connection are going to be the ways that anybody can get rid of depression. So, this is this that's not that's that's not even the whole story here. That's not even the whole point. So. Uh, to even go even even further in this, you know, uh, that was my uncle's story. But to go further into this uh, this book and these stu- these studies, they they looked at 
and this is interesting because this kind of hit the uh, the exercise realm. So they looked at uh, the rats on those hamster wheels. I'm sure you're familiar with hamster wheels. You know, those you've seen rats and, you know, hamsters, of course, on these wheels and they're just running away. They're running, you know, forever. And you actually have certain, you know, certain studies have showed that like these rats and hamsters, they'll run until they die or they'll run until they're injured. Because they are more or less addicted to that ham that hamster wheel. Now you would think, okay, maybe they're just doing it for exercise because they're in a cage, right? And you like they don't need any, they don't have any other way to exercise. So maybe they are exercising vigorously. Like maybe it's like those people that you know go out for runs every day. Yes, it is like those people that go out for runs every day. However, that not it may not necessarily be healthy. Now that what they showed is that. Uh, this is not just something that is synonymous with uh, caged animals. What they did is they actually showed, because they were curious, like, is this a healthy exercise routine or is this a compulsive pathological exercise? That's a really good question, right? Because you do see people that run until they're injured. So it's like, are they doing it because they just gotten injuries or is it something else? Is it compulsive? Is it, is it more something else? So they put these wheels, these hamster wheels, out in the wild, right? You know, you would assume that a, an animal in the wild wouldn't want to mess with that hamster wheel because, you know, they already get their exercise. Lo and behold, after studying these hamster wheels, you know, they put them out in the wild, you know, away from people, and they set up a camera so they could monitor it. And they found that these, these mice that would go up to the wheels, they would become addicted to them, like, almost immediately, so it's it's true. I mean, this is absolutely 100% true. They showed that these animals, and I say animals because it wasn't just mice. There was like, whatever, they had slugs that were addicted to the hamster wheel. I have no idea how you have a slug. They move so slow. They had slugs that were addicted to the hamster wheel. There were frogs. They actually had a frog that died because he was so addicted to the hamster wheel. So it goes to show you that it's not a healthy, uh, it's not necessarily a healthy obsession uh, all the time, you know, something like a hamster wheel, or maybe even running. Uh, it could be more than that. It could be pathological, be something that is not exactly quite wired right, or you had something that got rewired, your pain and your pleasure are, are overlapping, and you're doing something essentially that is not beneficial to you, but you're so addicted to that feeling that you have to do it regardless of your, uh, uh, of the health benefits. So, Again, there's like there's something to be to be said about certain behaviors that we that that we may execute on that may not necessarily it may seem healthy, but in the long run they're not. The moral of this story here is that it's not just a matter of you know doing things to make yourself happy because doing things to make yourself happy can quickly lead to you to being unhealthy or at least lead you to. Uh, displaying unhealthy behaviors. I'm going to go one more oh, for one more example. There was the marshmallow test, and I'm sure everybody here is familiar with the marshmallow test. I'm not sure if it was Harvard or Stanford, but it was an old study from like the 50s. And uh, just as a quick overview, if you if you haven't heard of it, essentially they got these, you know, young kids, these, um, I think between the ages of uh, four and seven. And they asked them, you know, to watch a marshmallow while the experimenter left the room. And they leave for two minutes and they essentially associated uh, those that could withhold their uh, their temptation to eat the marshmallow uh, as as more intelligent. 
And oh, I forgot one part. Because they, the observer or the, uh, pres- the or the scientist, however you want to put it, they left the room. But they said if uh, if you don't eat the marshmallow and come back, you get two marshmallows. So that's kind of important to study. So uh, they found that those those that did not eat the marshmallow uh, while the presenter was gone or while the um, uh, experimenter was gone, they had been, it was a greater indicator uh, for success than those that did eat the marshmallow. Now, the unfortunate thing is that it's never been replicated again. So, you know, who knows exactly what uh, it was that is, you know, that is the, you know, that is the indicator for success. Uh, but one thing that they didn't mention in there that they actually mentioned in the book is that all of the all of the children that withheld from eating the marshmallow, they did some kind of uh, binding technique, meaning that they held themselves off. They did something to literally and physically stop themselves from eating the marshmallow. Some people sat on their hands. Or some kids just kept their mouth covered with their hands for the two minutes. So one actually treated the marshmallow as a pet, so he wouldn't eat it because he would feel bad for eating his pet. But all of the kids that were successful in not eating the marshmallow, the way they did it was by creating some kind of self-binding. So in adult life, that's the equivalent of abstinence. That's the equivalent of essentially, you know, withholding your yourself from executing on that behavior. You know, like it might not necessarily be physically, you know, you, you bind yourself away from it. You don't tie yourself up, but it might be something that you mentally rehearse. So the key here is that honesty and abstinence are the are the keys, you know, like the honesty. Well, honesty, abstinence and connection are the three we, three ways to prevent you from being depressed, more or less, because Again, to go back to my earlier point, the reason why a lot of people are searching for this happiness is because they haven't put themselves in a position where they experience some kind of discomfort or pain. You know, you think about it, everybody's addicted to prescription drugs. You know, nowadays we have everybody, you know, almost all the states have marijuana legal now. You know, you can drink everywhere you want, more or less. Uh, You know, so... There's a lot of and again, back to what I was talking about the books, there's like a billion books on how to be happy. So again, a lot of people are searching for happiness, but the, the that's that, searching for happiness is not the right road to happiness. Searching for the, the right road to happiness is searching for that equal amount of pain or discomfort. So this being a fitness podcast, the most important way for you to be happy in any part of your life is to practice constant exercise consistently exercising is the way that you're going to be happy you know you think about it after every exercise or every workout you you probably don't feel like you know a million bucks but you probably feel better than you did beforehand and why it's because of that equilibrium it's that equal amount of pain and pleasure that your brain is always seeking so happiness happiness lies in fitness (laughs) That's my long, drawn-out way of saying, if you want to be happy, work out and eat healthy. Plain and simple. You know, there's a lot of of things that will lead you to believe that if you just search for happiness, you'll find it. There's a lot of of professionals and a lot of people that are, you know, preach on happiness and find all these ways to be happy. But, you know, there's something to be said about good old-fashioned hard work 
and undergoing some some type of challenge or you know obstacle or you know undergoing some kind of discomfort that will lead you eventually to the happiness that you're seeking in the first place so stop chasing happiness you're never going to get there you'll find your happiness through hard work not all the time because obviously then that will make you a depressed person you know if you're always putting you're putting yourself in a position where you need to challenge yourself but you'll find yourself happy if you balance that equilibrium if you if you Stop tilting that equilibrium down towards happiness or up towards happiness and try to find that that levelness, you know, that that yin and yang. Uh, bring that back, right? So it's all about that that even flow, flow like water, right? I mean, that eastern philosophy definitely has uh, some is <laughs> some kind of meaning, some kind of reason, right? It makes sense and then you actually think about it. I mean, it's funny, you know, with all these Old philosophies and all these old ways of thinking are coming back around because we're starting to find scientific evidence to prove all of these things that we already knew already, <laughs> or at least our grandparents knew. So, anyways, uh, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you today. Yeah, I think it's uh, important because I tell you, I don't know how many times I've even seek seek that happiness, and I've probably preached that a billion times on here myself. You know, I was like, "Go be happy, go do what makes you happy," but. That's only part of the puzzle. You know, yes, do what makes you happy. I don't want you to go out and be depressed all the time. But at the same time, also do those things that have meaning for you. Do those things that you know you need to do that you may not necessarily want to do. All right. So, yeah, that does it for this Labor Day, right? What a great episode about about labor. Get out there and do what you need to do, not necessarily what you want to do. That's Labor Day in a nutshell. (laughs) That wasn't even on purpose, but yeah. (laughs) sometimes that's the way life works right so anyways yeah i do appreciate you listening i hope you enjoyed this episode i hope you uh take this uh you know not just with a grain of salt but actually maybe uh apply this to your life i don't want i don't want you to feel like you you need to be doing so many things to be happy it doesn't take a lot you know i mean you just think about it you know the you would think that winning the lottery make you the happiest person but they show so many people so many studies that show that people that win a lottery are the most depressed people on the planet not to mention that three years after they win the lottery 97 percent of the people are broker than when they hadn't won so think about that that actually makes a ton of sense you know there's people just if you're given happiness <laughs> or if you're given uh, something that represents happiness, you're going to be thinking, what next? And if you don't have a game plan, well, <laughs> down the depression hole you go. So, yeah, go do something valuable and meaningful for yourself. And <laughs> not just for you, but for the world. Check you later, and don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> Keep good company.